Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode number four, and I am joined today, as always, by my colleague Maggie Park. And today, our second special guest, we have Helen from the Clueless Fangirl on YouTube. Helen, welcome. Glad you could join us today. Thank you so much for the invite, Corey. You know, I'm not just a clueless fangirl, I'm also your fangirl. So, but you know that for many years now. <laughs> well, thank you, Helen. It's great to talk, always great to talk to you. And uh, of course, one of the uh, uh, one of the subjects on which you are uh, definitely not clueless is on the second age and on Numenor. We've had some wonderful Numenor uh, conversations before, um, yeah. and uh, I'm uh, so I'm looking forward to talking about this. So here, here's here's here, here's what I want to do. As we're thinking about Numenor and the depiction of Numenor in the Rings of Power show this fall, um, one of the things that I've been kind of you know we've been talking about a little bit is we've been talking about issues of what it means to be faithful to a text, you know, like sort of what what's at stake there. And we've we've talked about trying to, you know, kind of dial down some of the emotional pressure on it, you know, and think about. But of course, one does want to kind of take the story that they depict and compare it with the story in the books and everything. Um, and I want to kind of back up a little bit, look at the big picture of the Numenor story and just try to try to, I don't know, kind of remind ourselves, think through what is essential in the Numenor story, right? And w when we're looking at what they do with the Numenor story and trying to trying to see, you know, does this fit with, you know, Tolkien's Numenor? Are the things that they're concerned about in their depiction of Numenor in the show, how well or how poorly do those line up with the concerns that Tolkien shows in his depiction of Numenor. So, you know, what makes Numenor awesome and what is uh, what what do we think are kind of the most important key elements of the Numenor story? So that's kind of the first big picture discussion I want to have. So where would you start? Like, what's the first number one thing? If somebody said, convince me that the story of Numenor is awesome. What yeah, would can you I say? Ask oh, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm jumping in real quick to just say also as a lay person i also feel like i need to remind everybody i'm not the tolkien person so don't be sad for me if i just sit here quietly and bask in the knowledge of these two <laughs> amazing people um because i'm just gonna i'm just gonna listen to them wax lyrically about all this but i'm also very curious coming at the perspective of somebody who doesn't know all the details of this mm -hmm. world what's the stuff that would make me want to watch it maybe i only have a vague knowledge of this thing called lord of the rings obviously i have a little bit more than that i'm part of this family but you know <laughs> What is it that would be that widespread appeal in addition to this, this the more minute right. detail? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so for me, uh, and this is what and Corey mentioned it before, you know, one of my favorite topics is, although I love the first age, you know, nothing get, goes over, uh, comes uh, is better than a good first age battle or tragic story, you know, just naming uh, Turin Turamba or, you know, the fall of Gondolin. All these stories are so epic. And these are actually, you know, some of the first stories he did write and his heart really, you know, like Beren and Luthien, that's basically partly his love story with his wife right yes. but again so Numenor is obviously the second age right um, it's a very long age and a lot did happen and for me the story of Numenor I like 
Greek tragedies, you know, this is what my, my dad named me after Helen of Troy. So, you know, he loves <laughs> Greek tragedies. He introduced me to this well, to the Lord of the Rings. And uh, I always say, you know, tell the story like The Hobbit was the first English book. English is not my native. I'm, I'm German. Uh, I grew up partly in England, but, you know, it's not my native language. But The Hobbit was my first with six year old uh, English book. So this is literally, you know, my, my heart is uh, really into this. But again, Numenor is um, it's so important for me because, again, Greek tra tragedy, right? And I love the downfall of a whole civilization, right? And yes. that is so, and the way he describes it, you know, this island was gifted. It was a gift to mankind. And this is, they had everything right they they had more than normal mortal man had living back in middle earth or ever had right this was the promised island um a star led them to that island and yada yada yada, yada. so many things and um then they literally effed it up right <laughs> um <laughs> right, right. and um, yeah so that makes a really good and great story and this is not just you know a lot of people, you know, you can compare to the Atlantis, right? The Atlantis right. myth and everything. Right. But this is more for me because, you know, a lot of that there are fates. There are 25 rulers, kings and queens, good ones, bad ones. At the end, mainly bad ones. One tried. Um, we might get to him. Um, but it's you can see this decline and this, you know, the richer the people got and the more they knew, the more they learned, the more the more morally declined they got, you know, so the scale completely shifted. And um, I that is so fascinating for me. And I really want to see I'm a very visual person. And obviously, I love the books, right. But I want to see that visually depicted you know that whole you know sauron coming to numenor and then literally him in 50 years he became from prisoner to advisor to the king um and i want to see all that how you know what mm. where did where was the point of no return what did happen because yeah. we have to ask this question and it's very yeah. similar to our times right you know right the more we want the more we know the more we have you know the more you have to ask yourself the question okay is this everything we do is it still you know morally is it correct okay? <laughs> right? yeah. are, we, are we headed towards our own destruction yeah no i yeah. mean these are the really big questions one yeah. quick thing i want to pick up on that you mentioned which i think is so important and is actually one of the the i don't know i think one of the the tensions or even the ironies in the numenor story atlantis right you mentioned atlantis yeah. and tolkien explicitly like um, his phrase, like, you know, the note that he wrote to himself, right, that he was going to, quote, do the Atlantis myth, right? He's going to yeah. do the Atlantis myth. Um, yeah. So he said, like, he absolutely, I won't say he absolutely identified the two things, but he mm. was explicitly thinking about the Atlantis myth when yes. he was doing Numenor. Yeah. Um, uh, he called sense, it Numenor Atlantis in an early version. Even. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, in a sense, what he's doing in writing the Numenor story is telling the untold story of Atlantis, right? Yes. But yes. this, but that's the irony, I, I would say, in a sense, right? In a sense, like the Atlantis myth 
it seems to me that an essential element of the of the Atlantis myth is the fact that we don't know anything about it, yeah. right? It's it's an idea, yeah. it's a concept out there. It's a concept, yeah. We have like one sentence from Plato, right? And and from yeah. that, like all of this extrapolation of you know and imagination, you know, the free yeah. range of imagination, you know, the, and over the years, think of all of the different Atlantis stories that have been told, you know, in many different genres and in many different places. Um, yeah. uh, the imaginations of folks as they've pictured this because I mean just the mere concept and so like the essential elements of the Atlantis myth right are a it was an island civilization so we have that sense of isolation like it's not yep. organically connected to all of the other civilizations civilizations around them and inaccessible <laughs> in some way right because it's often in an island by themselves um, yep. second that they were blessed and advanced right far beyond mm -hmm. anything that the rest of the world had done so that there's this like they're just head and shoulders more awesome as a civilization more accomplished mm -hmm. as a civilization than anybody else and third they're gone right they they like yeah. it they fell uh the island sank the like something cat a, a catastrophic end came to that civilization those are the things i would just off the top of my head point mm -hmm. to as the three essential elements of the Atlantis myth, like what the Atlantis myth means. And so yeah. that's that's the framework that Tolkien starts from. But of course, in one sense, I would add almost a, almost a sort of a fourth thing, like the fourth element of the myth is that we don't know anything about them, right? You know, like the very, the very absence of information. And so when you're yeah. going to tell the whole story, mm -hmm. as I say, there's a little bit of an irony there, right? In, in, in a sense, by telling the Atlantis story, you are at least at risk of removing some of the mythic element of it. It's the very yeah. unknown uh, part of it that makes yeah. it, in some ways, as powerful as it is. Yes, but the good thing about that is that we do have survivors, right? We do have survivors, and these survivors right. tell a story, but they keep it exactly how you just, what you just mentioned. They keep it mystical because it's not they don't they literally take they escape with six or seven or nine i always confuse that sorry they came with six and escape with not, whatever it, right. it's very very low number of people <laughs> um they they escaped and they didn't you know they didn't continue where they left off and that is the big difference right they they literally they they didn't take all the books with them the knowledge nothing they literally started from scratch and right. i do think that is for two reasons but it is still this mystical this unknown is still although we have survivors and literally just through the next generations nobody ever talks again about Numenor because right. they were so ashamed of what their ancestors did right, right. Um, that nobody ever talks about it. it's like it never existed nobody and mentions the, it it's and not the sense like of a shrine guilt, is built. right yes. yeah the sense of yeah. personal guilt I mean like the the, the Numenorians like Lendo considered himself an exile Right. Like he yes. was exiled as if he were receiving a punishment. You know, he he wasn't he was one of the good guys. Right. He wasn't yeah. doing the human sacrifices and everything no. else that was going on. And yet those survivors of Numenor definitely feel yeah. like exiles, like they've been banished from their country. As a, and, yeah. and, and there's a sense of at least corporate guilt and responsibility yes. for what happened in Numenor. Yeah. Yeah, they took responsibility. The only thing I would say I never got with this is why did they crown themselves 
kings, right? So why did they continue with it? Because my learning would be, you know, we need to change this whole concept of, but this might be as you know, you know, talking came from a different generation and, you know, a different background. And the thing is, you know, for him, this royal lines, this bloodlines that continue, some didn't because something you know they were not right, good so right. this is always a good sign when when your bloodline doesn't continue you're you're, you're not one of the goodies um <laughs> so so um he this was very important for him to tell a story and this, this stood also for concepts right so but i always was like okay but you could just not have taken up the title this is something you know um like look at elrond he could have maybe taken up the title of high king right, right. he was one of I mean, Galadriel, she was the older one. There was no real rule of the Noldor kings, right? But still, he could have, he didn't. He was very humble. He was like, no, I'm I'm more like, I'm just a lord of Rivendell. I don't want to call myself king. But I was always wondering, why did Elendil, um, you know, Anarion, uh, and all of them later on, why they kept this concept of Numenor that was created in Numenor? Mm-hmm. Be- because before, there was no c- kingship, right? There were just tribal leaders you know like in in germanic i'm I'm german so you know i i love all my my ancestry um and my story so there were like tribal leaders this was very similar to what they had back in middle earth before they were the three houses of men the edain right uh what they were given so i i was like you could have gone back to that. That would be very humble and very we're back to middle earth but no let's you know found our kingdoms yeah. Well, and and of course, on the one hand, it's easy to say, OK, so and by doing so, they set their kingdoms on the path to recapitulate the same Numenor story over again, yeah. which, of course, does happen, not yeah. as spectacularly in Gondor. Right. Um, but they're definitely on the kind of Numenorian trajectory. Um, yeah. Uh, in Gondor with the, you know, at the height of their power. But, you know, the, the same exact things that we're hearing about the fear of death and, um, you know, uh, uh, men spending more time focusing on their, you know, genealogies than on their offspring and, uh, you know, the yeah. kind of sterility of the empire at its height and, and, and pride. Now, they never they never fully cross the lines, right? They don't become hmm. this, like, you know, slave-taking, empire-building, human sacrifice, Morgoth-worshipping. Like, they, 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 yeah. don't, they don't cross those lines um, no. that Numenor crossed. But we can see them headed in a similar kind of direction before uh, they collapse because the king, uh, the king goes yeah. away, right? Um, especially in Gondor later especially on, in I Gondor, would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And um, this is one of the reasons the kings failed, the line of kings failed in Gondor, uh, and they had the stewards coming. Right. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, uh, it is interesting when we think of it in those terms. So, okay. So, on the one hand, I I, I could argue the other side though, and say, all right, well, they they become leaders in the new world, right, in Middle Earth when they get there, um, not necessarily not necessarily through a failure of humility. Um, but okay, so like they have a couple different options to them, right? If they go the more sort of humble route, like the isolationist route, like instead of 
establishing new kingdoms in Middle Earth, we're going to establish like monasteries <laughs> or something. You know, like we're going <laughs> to isolate ourselves onto mountaintops and uh, you know uh, reconsider the life choices and cultural choices that led Numenor to where it is, uh, and and that's it. And we're going to set up like you know orphanages and children's hospitals and things like that, and that's what we're going to focus on. You know, and we're not going to rule anybody. Um, that would certainly be more humble, right? That would have been more humble yeah. for them to do that. Um, but of course, the the one thing that I think is really in, the the thing which makes to me uh, couldn't fight Sauron in that way. Right, you can't fight Sauron in that way because the, 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 no. there's there's Sauron, right? And there's Sauron. Yeah. Not only um, Sauron wasn't just conquering the peoples of Middle Earth. He was corrupting the peoples of Middle Earth, right? Yeah. Like the Oathbreakers are the classic yeah. example, right, of the local tribe who yeah. had come under his influence and come to worship Sauron, right, in the yeah. dark years, um, and that like this leads them into serious, yeah. you know, personal and cultural yeah. difficulties, right? Um, so, if they're yeah, if they're just gonna set up in monasteries and children's hospitals, no. then yeah. there's nobody to oppose Sauron. So instead, they take the leadership role. Right, alongside. Yeah. They had Yogo a sense Adam of res- Yeah, they had a sense of responsibility for for the people of Middle Earth, and they yes. knew they were stronger and more powerful still. You know, right. even though they didn't bring the technology, because Numenor's technology was literally, you know, like the industrialization, and then they went back to the Middle Ages, or even, you know, I don't know where they went right. back to, but but definitely not that time. So you're right, they they had a sense of, okay, but we still must keep evil at bay here, right. and we are these powerful people, we have longer lifespans, we are good warriors, we know how to fight, we've been fighting in the Second Age with the elves. Yeah, you're, no, you, you're yeah. right. Um, and- I think so. Actually, thinking of adaptations, and it's funny. Like the first adaptation thing I'm thinking about about Numenor is something that it will certainly not be in the Amazon in this Amazon series anyway. And that is, I would be really interested to think about what would those initial Numenorean kingdoms have looked like, like the the initial yeah. startups in Arnor and Gondor, right? Yeah. Because of course, like from the perspective of the end of the Third Age. That is, when you're looking back at the High King Elendil and and King Anarion yeah. and everybody, you know, through the lens, right, of thousands of years of Gondorian history, they naturally, they look back at the height of Gondor's power, right? You're looking up at the Argonoth, right? And you're looking at all these other yeah. things, right? And, and, and you're kind of, that's the picture of Isildur and Anarion that you have. Like the Argonoth, yeah. right? These titanic statues, right? What was... Well, the movies cheated us, us, uh, us out of Anarion, sadly. Yeah, <laughs> I it's hope true. they mention him in the movie. I hope yeah. they mention him in the show. Please don't write him off. Out <laughs> Please of don't the write show. Anarion out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that would exactly. I, I want to. Fa- I want to see the fall, the stone falling on his head, and this is literally right, his right. death. Exactly. Like... Would it have been so much to ask to see somebody get their head crushed by a? By, <laughs> it would only take a few seconds, right? Yeah. You know, and and then Elendo and his two. Well, one remaining son. That's all we needed. That's all we needed. But anyway, right. Okay, so the point is, though, what were their kingships actually like, right? From Mm. the perspective of the late Third Age, it's tempting to look back at, like, oh, this was the pinnacle. This was the the most glorious moment, right? But I'm not sure. Like, I could easily imagine Elendil and maybe Anarion also, you know, like, 
Minelda, right? I, that is, I'm talking about the the, the 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 initial beginnings, like once the king, once the last alliance part is over, right? Yeah. When you look at what was started by Elendil up in Arnor, and then is going to yeah. be carried on by Velandil, right? So like from Velandil yeah. and Anaria and. and Minelder, right? The first like ruling kings in those mm-hmm. kingdoms. What was the kingship like? Mightn't Elendil himself have started a tradition of you know? Like, it, I would be really tempted to bring some of that humility that you were talking about yeah. into the kingships and the way that the uh, that the kingdom is structured and everything to, mm-hmm. to sort of show. The temptation is to look back um, from the end of the Third Age and see this unbroken decline, right? Yeah. Uh, from from up at, uh, you know, the high days of Elendil and Isildur and Inari and all the way down to the time of the stewards yeah. where things are, you can only just hear echoes and memories of the grand old days. But yeah. I don't think it necessarily need have looked like that, right? Uh, I, th- I think that the, the pride, even arrogance, mm. Of the Gondorian mm. kings, especially, right? I think yeah. even the Arnorian king. Well, the Arnorians had their own issues with the they, civil war and stuff, but splitting up, um, yeah. Uh, but but that, of course, itself is a is a sign of arrogance creeping in. I mean, that's you don't, yeah. You know, it's kind of hard to have civil war without anybody being arrogant. And I, <laughs> I anyway, always yeah, felt. Yeah. I always felt he brought in a concept of that is very well known to us Europeans. He always brought in the concept of the division of a kingdom due to mm-hmm. um, there were no laws. And this was very important always for Tolkien to point this out. They were very often that the kings didn't make laws or the state didn't make laws who's inheriting. And this was very often a problem. And look what happened to Charlemagne, right? This is why, you know, the Franks then split up and then there were two sons and then there were two kingdoms. And then later on, they had three sons. And then that was a big, big problem. This was why later on, you know, many said, okay, now the firstborn son or child, whatever it was, right? right? They set up rules and he shows us in a, a, a bit this is how i always felt you know especially with arnor um he showed us but early days in numenor as well when silmarion was cheated out of her we cory you and i talked about this when we talked about the numenorian queens when silmarion yes. was cheated out of her right. um in inheritance actually she should have been the rightful queen right not her younger right. brother and you see that what's the good line what's the faithful line it's her line right, right. um so Tolkien sneakily, um, you know, introduces these real life concepts we had in our own history, which I find fascinating. Division of kingdoms due to, you know, we didn't make any rules and laws. Right, right. Yeah. And and uh, I like the idea of Elendil coming in and essentially being a kind of a lawgiver, right? And establishing a new thing, but then having that as the power of the kingdom grows over time, yeah. the traditions, the older Numenorean traditions, which would have been established by probably a sort of a humbled uh, yeah. Elendil still feeling, like, you know, and, and his son <laughs> feeling like exiles and, and, and not wanting to make sure that the Numenor problem does not, in fact, repeat itself again, right? Yeah. Like basically, the kingdom is going to have to forget that, 
to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, so again, rather than having the kingdom of Gondor under Elendil and Isildur and Inarion be the greatest, most imperial, highest, grandest of all of the king, have it be quite humble. Um, yes. And then, then it grows over time. And as it grows over time, it starts to lose uh, its kind of moral and cultural roots. And what the, mm -hmm. by the end of the Third Age, what they, what they associate with Numenorean power is not Numenorean power. It's post-Numenorean power, right, yeah. from later on. Um, anyway, yeah. that's kind of, I, I would, I would I, that's, 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 if I were doing yeah. a, uh, like, early Third Age adaptation, that's totally yeah. how I would do it. And I'll be interested to see what they, how they relate Elendil and Isildur, especially, yeah. and hopefully Anarion, as you say, uh, to... Um, uh, to the the whole kind of Numenorean story and how they sort of make that work, yeah. but um, uh, because they are the you know they they are the people that have seen both. They you know they have a longer lifespan and they literally you know they've been friends with um they they've been friends once and allies and uh, um, even advisors at the king's court in Numenor mm -hmm. still, mm -hmm. and then you know tra tragedy happened and then they built this new you know more humble whatever these new kingdom so they are the the binding you know people who saw both and this is they right. are the generation you know that right. still saw this because the later generation they they just knew it from stories and nobody was telling these stories anymore right. and nobody was writing down the stories that's also the tragedy of this right right yeah yeah well let's get back to let's, let's come back to tragedy i've been i've i've yeah. i'm indulging <laughs> yes. in third age speculations and we're totally off topic now but, you want so, your spin-off corey yeah exactly want totally want to do a spin-off um but uh it's what we do that's what we do yeah absolutely um so um uh the tragedy of numenor right and the the thing that I think is is essential, and you were talking about this um, when you were talking about tragedy before, there, are, it's not the kind of tragedy where everything's going great and then something horrible happens to them and yeah. they lose what they had, right? Um, no. This is the kind of tragedy where they make bad choices and their bad choices lead to the collapse of their society. I mean, it's 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 clearly their own fault. But it's is a good it tragedy. though? Well, see, that's is it the thing. though? I think it, it's yeah. the Valar's fault. I I don't think it's their fault. Yeah. They were they shouldn't have never been put on that bloody island to see the blessed, you know, to see the uh, undying lands, to see uh, all the blissfulness, to get introduced to all the concepts and the elves coming, shipping in, and they are like, okay, but yeah, we're going to die. Just imagine you know, the discussion of um, Andreev and um, yes. Finrod, yeah. Uh, Finrod, yeah. 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 No, exactly. Exactly. I agree. And actually... It's not in, their um, fault. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow... Actually, tomorrow night. Um, so uh, we've been discussing the nature of Middle-earth in the, my Mythgard yeah. Academy broadcast on Wednesday nights. And yeah. uh, we're no, I follow it. just going to be getting to the chapter that talks about Numenorean aging in part three, where he talks yeah. explicitly about like the Valar... Like, what exactly did the Valar do to the Edain when they went to Numenor and how did that work? Um, and yeah. it's fascinating how he describes his little, I guess, spoiler for tomorrow or no, tonight. It is Wednesday. This evening. I'm going to be talking about that. <laughs> um, but um, a little spoiler for later this evening. He basically says they make them more like elves. Like they, yeah. they take the humans and they, they, they deliberate, like they take their bodies and they 
alter their bodies to make their bodies more like the bodies of elves, essentially. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna put the Numenorians into this. You know, you've got the two different paradigms, right? That Iluvatar has established, right? Humans yeah. and humans and elves, um, with the two different fates and the two different ways in which they operate. And the Valar are basically going to be like, okay, let's um, compromise, right? Let's 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 take these. Just as Numenor as a land, right, is like halfway between Valinor and Middle Earth, but more mm -hmm. towards Middle Earth. So the Numenorians are going to be sort of halfway between the mortal and the immortal. Um, but but the thing is, you can't do that. Like that's not no. actually possible, right? They remain no. mortal. You can't be. Um, yeah. You can't be kind of immortal. You can't be a little bit immortal. Like you either you're are or you're not. And at the end of the day, a prolonged life, okay. Um, but the, you know, so uh, it, it, and Tolkien says it really interestingly that the Numenorians asked for, like basically the Valar said, okay, what do you want? We'd like to reward you. What do you want? Mm -hmm. And they said peace and long life, right? And the Valar were like, well, peace is easy. We can do that. <laughs> Um, long life, that's tougher. We'll do what we can, right? And I agree with you. I personally, um, I personally would say it's, it was a mistake. Like they should have said yes to the first, uh, you know, no, we can't do the second yeah. one. At least not in any way that's going to make a difference long term, yeah. you know, um, and they didn't understand. So for me, always, you know, when the music was, you know, when the music came into the world and, you know, and everything was created. And the thing is, I don't think the Valar ever understood the concept of men. And you yeah. see that many, many times when they want to help and they F up all the time, except Ulmo. <laughs> He's different. The only with it, Valar, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they they love the elves. They invite the elves to live with them because they are so similar, right? In in those in in the important things, but men are not, and they never understood men. And that is, yeah. And then don't you know? Don't interfere with these people. You it 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 can't lead to anything. Obviously, they will take it. That that is human. Uh, if right. somebody would give me one of those nine rings. I would have taken it. What the <laughs> F? Yes, give me that ring. Power, magic, l immortal life, give it to me. But the thing is, you know, the, the, and that is human. And Tolkien wrote the humans as humans. Yeah. Yes, very clever. The Numenorians were very clever and all that, right? Great warriors, whatnot. And the promised race, but of humans and not elves. And the Valar never understood that concept. N from the get-go, they didn't, yeah. and they didn't live with humans. Ulmo did, in a way, because you know the water was always there. The, the, it, yeah, was it was surrounding them. It was surrounding them. He was in touch. He understood them more. The Valar, they closed themselves off, right, in the Undying Lands, mm -hmm. and um, they they never. How do you even understand somebody you don't know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Actually, we're going to talk about. Valar shutting themselves off in the Manway's Ban chapter, which we're also hopefully going to cover. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> oh my God, yeah. we're spoiling everything. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's, this is this is a perfect setup for tonight's discussion. But but no, exactly. Now, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's the Valar's fault. I mean, the Valar did them no favors. Like that's clear. Yeah. The Valar did them no favors, right? Um, yeah. And it was clearly, in the end, no long-term benefit to the Numenorians 
to, I mean, and, and certainly it does in some sense set them up for the problems that they're going to go yeah. on to have. But of course, yeah. it's not like, um, it's not like the Numenorians, uh, are not culpable, right? You know, that like that they're not at all to blame for the choices. No, that no, they no. Made. Yeah, no, um, no. Uh, but I agree that the, you know, in a sense, the um, I don't I I think that although they would have been faced with these same problems anyway, like if they had been given this land of peace and they had ju- and and been given all the blessings that they were given as far as like yeah. you know the the wonderfulness of the you know the the that we're told that there are. Um, not only uh, was the land very abundant in the sense of you know bringing forth good things to eat and everything, um, but also there were lots and lots of metals there, so it gave them a mm-hmm. lot of materials mm-hmm. to work with and everything. Anyway, given all those circumstances and a normal lifespan, like not mess with the lifespan issue, right? But they're just like yeah. normal people living in this land. I think they still would have faced the same problems, the same questions, right? Um, but I think they would have been they would have been set up for it differently. Um, that the sense of entitlement that the Numenorians have, right? But we're yeah. not just normal humans. Like maybe the peasants in Middle Earth um, need to, you know, come, but like, why should we submit to mortality? Because we are yeah. like, um, and they could look around and be like, what separates us from you? We weren't, we're just like our friends, the Eldar over there. And, you know, it's just, yeah. you know, persecution and the elder and down. the elder fed and the elder even fed to that right because they gave them you know they, they brought them the birds they brought them knowledge wisdom they taught them things they even fed into that and you see that especially na- uh, later on in gondor with the whole bloodline thing you know to not um sully is that a word in yeah sully 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 the the bloodline or thin out the bloodline with marrying regular humans from from the north right Right. that you know but nothing happened spoiler Uh, (laughs) although he did marry that uh, northern princess but you know that is very very reminiscent of of the exact same things you just said but that kept on even later on in the uh, Numenorians or later on you know um, um Gondorians um yeah, yeah. so I, just, I mean look I always found especially the thing and I don't know who said it um was it Argimelzor or so Tarpalanti's father or was it um Arfarazan himself one of them said you know I I don't understand why can't we sail to the undying lands because my ancestor did and he wasn't wrong I right. mean you know Erendil did and he pleaded yes he sailed there for another course right and many before tried and you know but but still he sailed he got an audience you know um, and they aided um, him in the end. So there are examples of people going there. Right. And even later on, you see, you know, the fellowshipping. Yes, there are different reasons. I understand all that. But he wasn't wrong, you know. And again, they are humans. They they have, and Turkey knows this, he was a human himself. And he obviously <laughs> also had wishes and knows how it is to, you know, it's like a child. You tell him, oh, don't sail there. What do you do? Obviously, you sail there. Or you you, <laughs> right. you want to sail there. Right. So that was also like very, like, maybe they did explain why you shouldn't sail there. But I don't feel they did. They always thought, oh, they just know or they right. just accepted. Right. They should have explained more. And then maybe, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know. A big I blame the Valar a lot. If you, if you, know. right? Yeah, no. I mean, I hear you. I mean, well, I like, think that the the Valar made like a classic 
parenting mistake, essentially, yeah. in extending the lives of the Numenorians, yeah. right? The, yeah. If you say, um, if you say, once they treated longevity, you know, longer life in the world as a yeah. reward, right? When they, like, allowed that to go into the category of reward, something you can earn for good behavior, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Something you can deserve. Then now the Numenorians have, no, you know, so now, like, what you've taught them is that, well, if you're good enough, you can. So therefore, those who have, you know, never ending life over in the Undying Lands, are, they've been rewarded most, right? Mm -hmm. And more than you, right? That it, just as you've been more blessed than the people in Middle Earth, yeah. they are way more blessed than you. Right. So yeah. now you've created this envy, like the envy already existed, but you fed yeah. into that envy. Right. You've yes. you've, you've basically yeah. said this paradigm, which is understandable that you have that like, mm -hmm. oh, the elves have longer life than we do. So they've been more blessed by Iluvatar than we are. We're the like, you know, the red haired stepchildren of the of the children of <laughs> Iluvatar and nobody, um, you know, like basically instead of just attacking that whole concept and saying no like that's not how it works at all um you don't have shorter lives because Iluvatar loves you less you don't have a you know that your the length of your life is not a measure of what you deserve at all let's detach no. the concept of deserving from immortality um instead they fed into that and they're like you know you guys have been great so we're going to prolong your lives right yeah and then you vote now you've opened the whole can and so when later on they're saying that so again the answer to the the arendel point right um you know my forefather went there and it was fine so well no, yeah not because he was good it wasn't a reward to him it was because he was the son of an elf right mm -hmm. and so therefore he was given the choice as to which of the which you know, fate he wanted to have because he had both. He inherited both from his Although parents. Although Eärendil identified as human, and if it wouldn't have been for his wife, he would have chosen the human. He would fate. have chosen. I human. would. Yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, but again, so no, again, it's, I know what it's, you. It's, yeah. it, but it's not a question of deserving, right? No. It's just a question of like, are you an elf or are you not an elf, right? And yeah. you Numenorians, plainly not elves, right? That's <laughs> the way it is. Right. And so this is not this is not this is not for you. So, yeah. But but I agree. The whole building of the halfway land, the whole establishment of the longer but not, you know, never ending life thing um, yeah. does seem to me to set them up for all manner of problems. Um, the Valar make a whole bunch of mistakes. Um, but yeah. I agree. That's a big one. Um, yeah. One of the two biggest, the first biggest being bringing the elves over to Valinor in the first place. But um and and I've personally always felt look the dwarves they never I I don't think they but again you know the dwarves are not Iluvatar's children that is obviously right. and there are a lot of passages that explain how they they were, are they the stepchildren whether <laughs> whether red you or know not. but yeah <laughs> but originally they they were marionettes you know right right and um, but but anyway the the thing is you know they they don't strive for these things. Yeah, you know, they strive for gold and other things. They don't strive for that concept. And I always felt like they, what did they do? They always closed themselves off, right? They never intermingled with elves. So, and I, I always felt, you know, there are the firstborn, the secondborn, and yeah, you know, the stepchildren. 
if those three would have kept apart, I don't think mankind would ever, you know, have been tempted to do all that and Numenor would never have effed up and all that, right? I do think if that this is you are this concept this is what god wants you to be you are this concept you're completely different but then you know elves and men completely throughout the ages became this then the elves went to numenor not saying it was the elves fault right they were happy you know to see to aid and to teach somebody that's what they loved right yes. um but but and and the you know the human they literally like a like a sponge they 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 right. took what they got but the the dwarves they kept their language secret they kept into their cat you know they and this is i do think why they were never you know in this whole process of temptation of of these mm -hmm. kind of things yeah, right you're right that's I, not their temptation you don't offer no. eternal life to a dwarf if you're trying to get him to take a ring of power right yeah. you offer something <laughs> yeah. Else. Yeah. yeah and i do think you know if the three concepts should have, you know, been kept apart, I think that it would be a complete different story. Obviously, not a, as good of a story, but <laughs> right. the the intermingling of elves and humans, um, right. you know, that was the yeah. Downfall. No, I mean, I, I I agree. I think it's interesting, and it's all of this is kind of woven through with tragedy, right? Because yes. um, at the same time, you can also see, like it it's good for the elves and humans to be together and learning from each other. And like they're, you know, Tolkien they were says like that many times. in some way to yeah. be kind of complementary to each other. Yeah. But under the circumstances, yeah, it doesn't often end well when yeah. those come together. Um, yeah. Think about the, the kind of reflections on this that we hear in the uh, Turin Turinbar story, right? Um, when yes. they're like, Think of like Gwyndor and Finduilas, right? Yeah. Um, when fin Finduilas loves Turin and Gwyndor yeah. is like, okay, first of all, he's not personally thrilled with that situation. Yeah. But he doesn't just say, look, girlfriend, Turin's a bad investment, Ooh. right? He doesn't just, I mean, he is, and uh, he gives her that too. But he's also like, you know elves humans it's not a good idea this is not a like this is a, yeah. a, no no good is going to come of this um yeah. and you know we 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 focus on baron and luthien we focus on tour and israel like good things came there yeah. but um even there at a cost uh in some yeah. ways so but i mean all in, in 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 the end of course like this is one way of saying all of Tolkien's stories are ultimately tragic and we can see yes. the the sort of the tragedy woven through um you know the evidence of Arda marred and how nothing yeah. works out the way it's supposed to work out um but I yeah. agree that this drama that we've been talking about this problem that the Valar essentially set the Numenorians up for yeah. through what I view as essentially bad parenting um is uh, that this is the fundamental drama of Numenor, right? That when yes. you uh, when you pour all these blessings upon humans, like that, that them pushing the boundaries, right? Them wanting mm -hmm. more than they can get, and ultimately they're becoming attached to they're becoming attached to this world, um, yeah. and uh, the whole. I'm going to be fascinated to see. If they even make an attempt, like the proper relationship 
between humans and death, which marked Numenor mm-hmm. for a long time, right? The, the mm-hmm. submission to death. It, it's mm-hmm. not like they instantly went bad, right? Um, they had a proper relationship with death. Um, yeah. They did... The Numenorians did the death thing better than any other human culture that we know for the longest, right? I mean, they, they have a reputation for going very, very wrong with it in the end, right? But at yeah. the beginning, they had the most appropriate relation, uh, understanding of and appreciation of death and the end of the human lifespan. Yeah. Um, they're, they're the only human society we are told is like reconciled to it in a sort mm-hmm. of positive, in something like the way that um, seems like, you know, what, how humans are supposed to be based, you know, within the way that Tolkien talks about the gift of Iluvatar and all that kind of thing. And you see um, that in the kings and it's yes. reflected in their leaders because the kings yes. gave up power before the end of their life. They didn't cling to power like later on. They gave up. They used the time to teach their followers, son or daughter, whoever it was, to teach them, right, to become a good ruler. But later on, they cling to their life. Exactly what you said was reflected in how it went down the 25 rulers. Exactly, exactly. And of course, we get the case study with Aragorn, right? In in Appendix A, we see Aragorn doing the death thing right, right? Um, uh, like the old Numenorean kings did, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we get this glimpse of what it can be. But again, it's all about, like, it's, it's the tragedy, right? It's all about yeah. that decline. Um, yeah. if, the, if we don't see Numenor not just powerful, right? It can't just be a strong country, that collapses. It needs to be a good place which becomes corrupted, right? And not just, you know, taken over by a demagogue who leads them in Uh -uh. a bad direction and deceives them, right? We need to see how... Sauron came in the last 50 years. He wasn't there the 3,000 whatever years before. He came in the last 50 years. Exactly, exactly. So this then gets us towards the issue of compression. Right. Because if this is the heart, if this kind of tragedy, um, you know, give humans everything that they could want, but then they like mess it up still from wanting more. And uh, this, you know, this difficulty that we've been talking about, um, that is in the books a very slow decline. Right. Yeah. From uh, uh, over the course of what? 1500 years something like that yeah. from 2000 yeah. I think the shadow fall yeah I think the, it's it said the shadow fall around 1500 ish yeah. yeah yeah so we're looking yeah. at somewhere in the ballpark of uh, yeah. 1500 years now yeah. there are some significant problems with this when you're doing a screen adaptation of this kind of thing right yeah um you can't and i will say like even in our film film project we ran into this last season so we're, we're in season six now season five of uh, film film project was when we did the arrival of humans into beleriand so <clears throat> episode one of season five was finrod and Beor. yeah and then we went through the dagor bragalak and when we were discussing the framework of that season um we were having this problem all over the place we were like yeah how can we, how can you tell a story um, 
over the course because we had gotten used to a certain pace, right? Mm-hmm. With our with our all elvish cast, uh, you know, in season three and four, um, yeah. two and two, three and four, really. Um, and then the humans came. And yeah, exactly. Then the humans come, and they keep being born and dying, and being born and dying, and and we're like, how can you tell a story, which is like passing through four generations over the course yeah. of one season, and like you know, so yeah. like the things that we did where we kind of. We we we, com- we we did some compression, right? We squeezed some yeah. things down so that we could basically have like the the kind of framing mechanism, character framing. I mean, we yeah. started with Bayor, right, and then we brought in Endreth because we wanted to do the Athrobeth uh, mm-hmm. and 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 get that element in there. Um, so Athro- uh, so Endreth becomes the central human character in our season five, right? we introduced yeah. her fairly early on, but she's like the great grand, like th- two or three generations down from Bayor. But yeah. we skipped those quickly, right? We start with Bayor, then we get Bayor as an old man. So we show some time has passed, but we have the continuity of Bayor and then passing down from Bayor ultimately to Andreth relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. And then we had Andreth growing to be a very old woman, by, and she's still alive, but very old by the time the Dagor Bragalot comes. So... Mm-hmm. But, like, trying to find some consistency. Like, you can't have, in every single episode, the characters that you got to know in the previous episode have all died of old age. Like, you just can't have that. Like, it's very, very hard to maintain that kind of story. Um, And so how can you do any justice, even in the course of five seasons, to the fall of Numenor, um, when you, I mean, like, how... So, and you can't I mean, just work with flashbacks. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's, it, it can't just be flashbacks. That takes you. That takes you out of the story. Or the, I've I've worked as a TV producer for one of Germany's biggest uh, uh, broadcasting stations, and um, I, I, you know, we know what people want to see and what they don't like to see. They want to see a hero's journey, right? They want to see someone grow and fail and learn and you know then have his redemption arc and whatnot right this is why we love star wars so much right right um and except ray um don't like ray but anyway um because that's a bad storytelling but anyway let's not go there but but yes that is exactly it right you can't tell that with 25 rulers and show that that the audience would literally be okay i don't care anymore because this person is dead and the only coherent is Galadriel and Elrond and you know the two three four five elves that doesn't make a good story right Right. yeah yeah and and I was going to add of course there's then also the pressure on the other side if in if you slow the time frame down so as to um make it fit the humans then it's weird for the elves right yes you know then it's like nothing Right. What are they up yeah. to? Why are they, you know, because you've got these like, and then, you know, the elves decided to act quickly. So 500 years <laughs> later, they called another council, you know, like that's kind of how the timelines tend to work there. But, um, but do you know what I always feel with Tolkien? I think he very often exaggerates to make a point. And I do think you can shorten a lot of things down in Tolkien. Now, I'm a very impatient person. I don't, you know, I don't mind the 25 Kings, but I do think you can tell the decline of a civilization in, I don't know, 
four or five kings. Yes, I'm very, very sad. We don't get all these crazy kings and queens, right? I'm sad about that, but I have them in the books. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make them redundant or not non-existent. But the thing is with Turkey, he very often look, look at the Balrogs, look at the one of my favorite stories is the fall of Gondolin. There were like a hundred Balrogs before, and then there were maximum five or seven in the whole you know whole legendarium right. Right. so he very often changed these things he often used you know there were hundred thousands of you know um he, the army was that strong so he very often exaggerates to make a point mm-hmm. so i do think for me for show purpose visual purpose i'm okay with them saying you know those are just a few yes it would be weird and this is what i understood that they make it really just a few years because they have they can be three four hundred years old so make it a few years because what i want to see is the corruption of the ring bearers as well this whole thing is called i know we talk about numenor but this whole thing is about the rings right the rings of power and sauron corrupting these former good powerful kings not all of them were black Numenorians before they they must right. have been good and wise leaders i want to see that corruption and that doesn't you know oh i put the ring on your finger and now you're but be- no and now you're so evil. that right yeah so yeah. that takes a bit of time and the whole you know um plot with Farazon usurping the throne and tarpalantir you know as he, as his wife's dad you know one of the last i want to see that i want to see the whole and they need to for for me they need to show that but i do think they can do that in what is it six seasons six seasons five five seasons five Five. yeah yeah still Still, i mean yeah yeah i don't know maggie what are your thoughts about the compression thing and and what kind of pressures are on them for making that work I knew you were going to come to me for that. And I'm like, you guys haven't figured this out in years of talking about the Cimmerlian. I don't have the answer in my back pocket, I'm afraid. Um, oh, well. But I, I, I think that the desperate hope. That, no, I think the points both of you are making are absolutely valid, though. And I think the the smart head on your shoulders about the stories is what's most important. So, like, yeah, I don't want to make people angry. I don't want to change the timeline too much and take people out of what they know. But we don't know a lot, first of all, and you are able to compress these things. So, I mean, like you're saying, I was just lecturing about the hero's journey last night with Gabriel's course um, in King Arthur at Signum. Um, So we were talking loads about this. You need to have the growth of that character for any kind of emotional attachment. You have to. You have to start from point A. You have to finish at point B. And there needs to be a a growth in there. I feel the same about Ray that she didn't have that opportunity. She was B to B. so if you don't have that then then we're at a loss i think you can almost ignore the timeline in development and then bring the timeline back in so i feel like you would probably just pick out the characters that you care the most about again i don't know the plot here as well as you guys do i'm just thinking if i was dealing with something of of this structure i would deal with the people i want to deal with and how they relate to each other and if king a doesn't actually relate to elf a 
then I just pretend that King D is King A. And exactly like you said, Helen, you would just compress that down. Um, There's a a bit in, actually, I think I did it in here, didn't I? That picture of Harry Potter uh, where they're wandering in the woods. And I talked about, you know, this eight second clip is, is 80 pages of text. It's the same kind of thing. We don't need to see them wandering in the woods forever getting really frustrated. We just need to feel that frustration real fast and then move on. So if you can get someone to feel whatever that king's reign felt and the actual factual historical things that get the plot to move on, great. We can condense six kings into one. I know that's hearsay. I understand. I understand that's hard. (laughs) But that's probably what I would do in terms of actual like story development. Yeah. Yeah, Who do I need to have in there and how can I reassign that? Right. It seems to me that the essential thing, or to say the thing in a different way, here's what I think would be most bad, right? Like, it, here's, here's, here's what I think would be the biggest failure, right? The biggest failure is to flatten out the, that sense of progress, right? That sense mm-hmm. of decline. Um, yeah. Helen, exactly you were, as you were saying, both in the individual characters, like the ring, the ring bearers, like the, the future Nazgul, right? Yeah. Um, if you have, like, Hi, I am a good but sort of like dubiously inclined towards evil king. And now I get a ring and now I am completely evil and under Sauron's sway. That's not interesting. I'm no, not going to care boring. about that. That's not interesting. Yeah. And it loses the opportunity to talk the, the, this, this drama that Tolkien was so good at depicting. The um, person who takes up this powerful thing for good reasons in order to accomplish a good end mm-hmm. and then ends up mm-hmm. going down the path towards others, right? Like that's it. Saruman went all the way down the path. Boromir went the first few steps down, right? Yeah. Um, before pivoting and turning back and then dying. Um, anyway, I like this. It's Isildur. Isildur. Isildur, yeah. Prove yeah. that, yeah. Absolutely. So if you if you lose that sense of movement right in the character this mm-hmm. this this progression in the in the moral development or de development right of the character you're going to lose something significant and that is played in big scale in new in the society of Numenor as a whole right yeah. if we get if like the the curtain rises and we get Numenor the decadent empire right uh which is already like acting in a uh, uh, very dubious and you know like we're already like uh, exploiting yeah. and uh, uh, enslaving the people of Middle Earth and everything um, maybe Sauron's not there yet so maybe you know, maybe that's going to be a season three thing or whatever mm-hmm. right when Sauron comes to Numenor so we're not you know doing whole hog human sacrifice yet but we already are like the late decadent Numenorean Empire and things are already bad um that's going to be the same as like yeah. depicting one of the Nazgul as like that already mostly evil king who's then going to take the ring and become a mindless evil, you know, minion. Um, that would be bad, right? So like that kind of flattening, if you just yeah. turn, mm-hmm. um, if you kind of make true that classic brainless criticism of Tolkien that all of his characters are either completely black or completely white and there's no shades of gray in Tolkien, which is literally hello turin turamba i mean like the whole thing like there are very few books that depict with more care that progression you know from one to the Mm -hmm. other um i still love the comment that uh which was which is of course delightful for its ironic um 
the ironic faith that it puts in the reason of people. Um, when the two towers came out, when he did his review of the two towers, and he's like, well, at least finally the two towers, which starts with the death of Boromir, the repentance and death of Boromir, is at least going to finally put to rest that stupid criticism that people are making, that all of Tolkien's characters are either black or white, because nobody <laughs> could read the second book and still think that, right? Uh, and of course, like, it's charming, and I wish it were so. But anyway, the point is, they could they could essentially make that true of the show. Like it would be easy yeah. to make that true of the show by trying to compress it. Like because you don't give the time to have like you know mm -hmm. if you, if you don't have a thousand years or even a hundred years to say mm -hmm. you know even four generations to say Numenor at its peak. Right here's good Numenor and now yeah. Numenor uh, is going downhill and here's why Numenor is going downhill right yeah. as we go if they don't have, if they don't yeah. leave themselves any time at all to show yeah. that progress then it's just going to be a, a kind of a cardboard it's the well, evil and, empire and which must be overthrown and that's all character development I mean when you think about it in terms of just like telling a story as well if your story is boring for 25 minutes everybody's going to turn their channel or pull out their phone so right. if you're just going to have this flat line of pacing and everybody's now yeah. not paying attention you're going to lose everybody so like every single episode has to have this arc as well so every mm -hmm. character has to have this arc but every episode has to have this arc so if you need to have that kind of pacing you're going to have to tighten yeah. things up. You're going to have to play around with things because people are falling asleep. You need some drama. Go, you right. know? Yeah. Right. And and what Corey said, what I really want to say is what, what Corey said in the beginning, you know, I don't want them to portray this and them failing, falling and drowning in the end um, just because of Sauron, because that was just the, the, the tip of the, the iceberg, right? right? That was not the real reason. And I want them to show that because otherwise somebody like Aragorn wouldn't make sense. A character like Aragorn who learned and, you know, who was ashamed of, we talked about this earlier right. about his ancestry, blah, blah. We need, and that was not, he wasn't ashamed because Sauron was responsible for the downfall of his civilization then they they wouldn't have you know that that's not the reason he was ashamed of his ancestry right, the sense because of, of what the they lesson from Numenor, right? exactly yeah. so yeah. i want that to be shown right the failing of mankind not just because of sauron that can be black Numenorians or whatever he's you know influencing them and whatever i right. want the Numenorians to f it up themselves mainly <laughs> right. right no but that yeah. is important yeah. no, I hear that. and I hear that. that's the essence of tolkien yeah and to make sure that we don't lose now i i i agree i don't think you need all thousand years like the fact no, no, that no. they're compressing it doesn't mean that the kind of flat static stories that we're talking about are inevitable with this kind of compression mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. do it um, but it's going to be challenging and what they're like, the challenge that is before them, I think is going to, so let's assume the most extreme example, which I'm afraid all of the evidence that we have, which is not very much yet, but all of the small amount of evidence say. that we have suggests that this is the case, that they're going to do one generation. Like we're going to get a Sildur yeah. from, you know, the beginning of season one. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, at least that he exists, maybe he's young. Um, maybe we will get some growth. But anyway, the whole show looks like it might happen over the course of a fairly f small number of years, right? Yeah. So let's talk about, like, what would it look like to do that well? And the first thing that I think you'd have to do and you'd, you'd have to accomplish would be to establish, okay, you're not going to get a chance to show Numenor, you know, at the peak, 
right? You're not going to get, you know, we're not going to really see and invest in, we're not going to have whole episodes, right, of like the good kings of Numenor and the good kingdom, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I would have loved it if we could have started with Alderion, right? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, and begin at like, the, you know, the, the which is also, which is not only a good time for, in Numenor, but also... No, like, he was a bad husband, and yeah, he, he was a bad, a bad wife. <laughs> I totally, I absolutely agree with that. But anyway, the point is, like, there's... there's the good, and but we, but we also show the beginning of the decline, right? As evidenced yeah. by his issues with his wife. Um, so I, I, I would have loved to go from, you know, I, I, I'd have compressed it. But anyway, whatever. We're not doing... So if we're not doing that... You still have to establish, like, if they fail to establish clearly in the minds of the viewers what Numenor was. Like, if you're not, if you look around at the decadent empire of Numenor and the king's yeah. men walking around and our Pharisees on the throne already, and if you don't look around and say, "Oh, this is such a shame! What a mm. like, what loss has already happened!" Like Numenor, Numenor's almost dead already. Like the you know the good Numenor, the Numenor that was has already perished. That sense of lost ne loss needs to be there, and so if you're not going to show any of it, like if you're not going to do all that earlier stuff with Numenor way up yeah. here, and you're just going to start down here at near the tail end of the corruption, how do yeah. you establish that higher old with the two vision? With the two houses, I I do think they want to establish that with the two houses by portraying the house of Silmarion, the faithful, mm -hmm. as the good ones, and I do think they will sit together around the fireplace and tell the story of their ancestors. Um, right. I I love Game of Thrones, right? I I'm not a big fan of the books, um, read them, but but I love the show. Well, the mm -hmm. beginning of the show, um, and you often have um, flashback, and you often have somebody telling a story of you know the ancestors of the Targaryens and all all that, and they do it in such a good way. And that also, you know, they have the different houses that portray different stages of men, right? You have, right. you know, the Northerners who still pray to the old gods, who but this right. is the same timeline. This right. is all in a few years. The the, the whole fight yeah. thing the is, whole, yeah. I don't yeah. know, the, yeah. it's like seven years say five six the girls grew up but it's not it's not a lot right it's just right, a short right. time span and they show it with the differences of the houses where they are what they believe in and i do think you can portray that in the two lines in the line of Silmarion and in you know the the debauchery and whatnot taking place in the king's right. halls um right. with a farazon right yeah um Maybe. if i could if I could make one like desperate compromise with the one generation version of the Numenor story, yeah. it would be to reintroduce Tar Palantir, as you were saying before. Like yeah. I would, if they I could start, yeah, yeah, if they could start with Tar Palantir, with yes. like the attempt to revive Numenor as yeah. was, which would be a great way to show Numenor yes. as was, right? Yeah, and then show the usurpation by Arpharazan upon his yeah. death, right? And the, yeah. um, that would be. And you can show his last days. You don't need to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You, you don't have to do his show whole story. his last. No, no, no. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Show his last days, and he can make. You know, but when you and I talked about the queens, we also talked about him because he's creepy AF, um, <laughs> and you know him making that prophecy about the line of kings failing, which basically right. also inclines you know Numenor failing, right. um, and he can make that prophecy basically on a 
deathbed or wherever and then this sets up you know the whole whole plot then that would be awesome yeah I would love to start with Tar- with Tar Palantir. As yeah. you say, I, okay, start with Tar Palantir. Well, maybe not on his deathbed, but start with old Tar yeah. Palantir and the, yeah. you know, get get the succession, the very horrible usurpation succession. Let that yeah. happen in like the second episode or something like that, yeah. you know, would be totally yeah. fine. Like I'd be totally yeah. fine with that. And it would yeah. establish some movement and, and, and give us that framework. Tar Palantir then becomes like the spokesperson for... Um, for, 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 for Numenor as was, right? Yeah. And then we see the fall, right? We see for the fall from, mm-hmm. um, and, and the contrast between the court of Numenor under Tar Palantir and then the court of Numenor under Arpharazan, right? Like, so yeah. that would give us that sense of movement, that sense of tragedy. Again, I feel like if we're not looking around, if we have no memories, like if the viewers have no memory of how Numenor was, like how Numenor... Yeah. We don't care been, about should the have been, Yeah, We're just going to look around and be like, okay, it's another like ye old decadent empire, right? We've seen this lots of times, yeah. depicted in lots of stories. Um, mm-hmm. And you lose that sense of tragedy. Uh, so that's, mm-hmm. that's... But there are ways that you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Having the two factions, the, with the faithful and the kingsmen, which is baked yes. right into the story there, right? That, that's really yeah. handed to them. And that can enable... If we have the contrast between, uh, like, Elendil and Amondils, I don't know if they're going to cut Amondil. They probably are. Um, but um, but anyway, like, between Elendil's oh, house he's and... still sailing. Who knows where he is? <laughs> exactly. They could have it like, he's already gone, right, or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, and this is a hard thing. Like, it's a really hard thing for book fans. It's another thing that I found, by the way, in film film. I, we, we, we cut a bunch of characters in the last season because there's just, yeah. there's just too many humans kicking around. Like we, know. you know, Tolkien was thinking in terms of genealogies in a lot of places, not in terms of like stories, like the kinds of story that he was doing in Lord yeah. of the Rings. And so when we're trying to develop these stories and, and develop these characters, we're like, no, we, you know, he gave like that thing to that one character and this thing to this other character. And that was the only thing they had. Like they had these one couple incidents, which when you're doing genealogies, when you're doing like the tale of years, that works perfectly fine. Right. But when you're trying to develop characters in a show, we're like, we, we need as much as we can get. So we were, we kept, you know, shoving together characters and combining them uh, and uh, removing excess family siblings and so you have <laughs> to do that with something like this there's just too many that yeah you know yeah. so often you just pick your through line or your lens right like right. everything has to follow that so if it doesn't come into line with the lens or, or your through line then they're on the cutting room block you know they're but, they're up they're up for the stuff but then yeah. again i just want to mention game of thrones and it worked there there were so many houses so many kings and you cared for you know you even cared for for the gardener, uh, what was her name? The the gardeners were the ones that died out. You know, the the rich people, whatever, um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. blew up in the sept. You even cared right. about their families, right? But they were just minor. You know, one of the seven, uh, and and that that is so cool. He did that. But you're right in a way because we also have dwarves to cover. We have elves. Yeah. So. Yeah. You could think of them as the same as the houses, right? Like we're talking about yeah. different races, but they could absolutely yeah. be the same as the houses. As long as there's an arc, as long as there's a motive yes. connection, and as long as they're all following the same through line, which could be a timeline, which could be a person, which could be an energy, yeah. you know, whatever the hell they decide to choose as their through line. I could care about all those people at the same time. It's magic. Yeah. 
yeah right. i i do i feel the same yeah. i i did in a visual thing like like game of thrones i don't can't mm-hmm. even think of another but yeah no as many characters no i don't i've recently rewatched vikings and vikings valhalla but you don't have that many fractions even there mm-hmm. right no right. it's true right yeah i mean it's it's yeah where i found where I found, again, when we were talking about making choices in some film, where I found myself wanting to compress character, to combine characters, was when there were like two very similar jobs being done by two different yeah. characters, and yeah. it made a more, it made the more story right to be able to combine them into one place. So I, I get, I would suspect that Amandil, Elendil's dad, is not going to be there. Um, no. That they'll give that role to Elendil himself because they're very yeah. similar. Right. I mean, that the position that they have is very yeah. similar. And I'm not saying that Amandil's a bad character. People always think whenever I'm arguing to compress in film film, people react like I'm like, I hate that character. And I think Tolkien was wrong to create it. Like, no, yeah. it works like there, there there is a role within the context of the story. But yeah. he picked um, up the torch of his father and fulfilled. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And to have it, it would make Elendil's character. It would make our connection to Elendil's character stronger and quicker mm-hmm. if he were the one who was the advisor to the king yeah. and um yeah. you know instead of his dad basically yeah. because it, it yeah. puts i mean in in the if you if you rigorously did the story as it's depicted in the book elendo himself does nothing until he arrives in middle earth i mean he doesn't actually accomplish a single thing himself it's his dad and his son isildur does right he steals the fruit of the tree um but uh, but Elendo himself doesn't actually do anything. Who what, yeah. who is he? What is he? So if we're supposed to, um, if you're going to try to get us to connect with him as a character, putting him in that kind of patriarchal role of the leader of the faithful, um, and and of course the way that that sets him up for the last alliance and everything, it works really really well. I'll be pretty surprised if they don't cut Amandil, um yeah. At the end of the day, but and and him and Arfarazan, you know, being former friends, and and then you know, which they were, um, and then you know them setting up for right, right. Two fractures. I'm interested in do do you guys think that Miriel, right? So his oh, wife, yes. because we don't know a lot about like law wise from Tolkien himself about right. was she very unwilling was she because what we know in the end and this is I want to see that scene please um when she literally clings to life climbing the Menel Tarma when yes. Numenor is drowning right yes. um and so I want to see is she willing? Is she uh, at the because her father is said to have been, you know, the last yes. good or he tried. Uh, right, so right. Tar- Palante was her father. So, but was she because obviously it's Eek because it's her cousin. Afarazon is her cousin. Um, yeah. So I don't think she will be like, yeah, you know, marry me, please. Right. But but then I would. There are be different interested- levels of complicity she could have. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I would yeah. be interested in how they portray, because they can't really go against canon because we don't know. Um, Tolkien doesn't really say what she felt, what she did. Did she rule with him? Did that, you right. know, was he just, as, we don't know about that. So that would yeah. be interesting. Is she good? Is she bad? For me, always the symbol of her, you know, like, I thought she was uh, bad such in an the end. Moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought in the end she was with her husband and she believed everything Sauron said because we know the queens of Numenor 
Mm, not so, you know. <laughs> Sketchy love. Um, yes, exactly. Um, so I, I, w- I want that. And, I, you know, I, I love yeah. these evil female characters <laughs> or becoming evil. I would yeah. be down for, for Muriel, um, you know, having her be, That's great. Having her be, I mean, because, of course, potentially she could be a really interesting character in that you have Elendil and Arpharazan as the two yes. kind of poles, right? The two faction yeah. leaders uh, yeah. the, and representatives and spokespeople mm-hmm. of the two different perspectives, right? She provides the clearest opportunity to be the one who's in the middle, right? The one who yeah. sees both sides, the one who can talk to both of them and does talk to both of them and yeah. sympathize with each of them to a different extent, right? Yeah. Um, um, I would be which her dad kind of... probably did, yeah. which her dad probably did, because Arfarazon, uh, Gimli Khan was his his. So Arfarazon's father was his brother. So yes. he must have had a close real, and he died. So he must have had a close relationship with, with Arfarazon. Maybe yeah. he was something like his stepson or something like that, right? right? right. To Tarpalantir, that would be interesting. Right. Exactly. So. Um, I mean, and the more creepy when he then marries Muriel, but because uh, then it's like not only first cousin, first cousin slash stepsister. Situation. Just saying sassy and Jamie, you know. Well, there you go. Things happen. There you go. Uh, these things happen. Uh, oh, Cleopatra um, and all the Egyptian rulers. Right, I mean, right. come on. Yeah. That dynasty. But, but again, it does. It does. To have Muriel be that kind of a. I mean, I would be kind of tempted if I were writing the story, um, mm. I would be tempted to make her like this. Like if if our Farazan is the spokesperson for the like bad impulse mm-hmm. right in Numenor, um, he's he's the he is the the person out of whose mouth comes all of the statements of corrupt Numenor. Right. Yeah. And Elendil is the other side. Right. Elendil is the one who is the representative of these good impulses. Yeah. And so we can yeah. depict those two things. I would be tempted to depict Muriel as like the representative of the hearts and minds of the people of Numenor, basically. Yeah. Right. And so and so I would also have her go over to Arpharazan's side. Yeah. As a and like and when she does like her, she would like have a break with Elendil eventually mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. she'd choose sides and she'd choose our Farazan. and when that happens that would be like the moment of no return like it's a, the, now the island's gonna sink like for sure yeah. um yeah. and uh so i mean that's a, it'd be how i'd be now again i would still i i wouldn't make her complicit from the beginning um no. you know it would be she would be a victim would I, be I, I wouldn't want to lose yeah. the victim but i i think that muriel's yeah. story is much more interesting if she's more than just a victim yeah Yes, please. That's what I want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then like that, whole, and then it makes the her final scene right. Her attempt to climb the mental tarma, like the yeah. the attempt to repent Clinging. of her choices, too late, yeah. right? And yeah. then she's you know like it's it's like the time for repentance, the time for changing was 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 before you didn't then, yeah. and it's too late now. And so, but she's desperately trying to climb the mental tarma, and the wave overtakes her. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah, and that mountain is so symbolic, right? Um, so yeah, and yeah. she should have been the rightful queen because only the, you know, rulers actually were right. supposed to go right. there. So yeah, very symbolic. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in in that portrayal especially. Yeah, I'm hopeful that they're gonna. Get, I mean, I can't imagine that the Amazon team is gonna look at 
Tarmuriel and be like, nah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Deadwood, let's cut that, right? I mean, she's uh, there's so many obviously, at least potentially, compelling things about her character. I really hope they take good advantage of that because, especially if they're gonna if they're gonna try to pack all of the drama into one generation, um, I think she'd be a really important element uh, of that. So, yeah, yeah, Um, awesome. Well, we should. We should let you go. Helen, thank you for joining us. This has been such a fun discussion. Um, Yay. I love uh, just I've... basking in the two of you talking to each other. This is, <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, so thank you so much, Helen. Uh, we'll have you on again later on, hopefully maybe after we get more mm-hmm. stuff from Amazon and see, you know, more to, uh, more to talk about, but um uh, yeah, <laughs> but this has been a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to talking. I've, I've been I've been wanting to do the Numenor discussion and think through Numenor, especially the compression issue. Uh, and uh, you're 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 the perfect person to have this conversation. We've had wonderful Numenor conversations before. So I was immediately we thinking did, of you. Uh, yeah. So glad you could join cool. us. Thank you so much, guys. And enjoy uh, the rest. I'll, I'll follow that on, on my computer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for, for everybody who wants to know more, you know, I yes. have a very uh long long Numenor and elves I just love elves so my channel is mainly about fast and second age elves stuff and Numenor um yeah so follow me on the clueless fan girl on YouTube and on Twitter I tweet weird things sometimes <laughs> yeah. Very good. awesome thanks for joining us and I, cool. I know we put your uh we put your uh YouTube yeah. channel in the in, in the chat here a link to that so people will be able to find you thank awesome. you bye bye auf Wiedersehen take care Okay, so one thing I wanted to, one last topic I wanted to follow up on um, is I wanted to talk a little bit because um, it's a bit of a follow up on my Critfic discussion from last week. Uh, that is, I want to talk about another example um, of um, how to, how that's often gets applied in, in a way that um, I have found extremely pervasive here. Um, so let me, let me start this off by asking a trick question. Who's making the Rings of Power series? Because the answer to that, what everybody says, right, is Amazon. Right. But that's not true. The corporate giant is not producing this TV series. They're funding it. Yes. Distributing uh, it. What? They're, they're distributing it. They're, they're distributing taking care it. of the nuts and bolts. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. But like the 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 um I've heard people not only just kind of using this as a kind of um heuristic, right? Like, yeah, it's coming out of Amazon Studios. Okay, yeah, sure. It is. Right? All TV shows and films come out of some studio or other, and this is the one that, that is coming out of. Okay. Um But I've heard people go further and talk as if what we're seeing in this show, like it's inappropriate to look at this show as some kind of work of art, right? This is a corporate production, right? This is just something that's being put out there by a corporation and is therefore not artistic. It's soulless. And, um, and it's, I, I, I just, I listen to this and I'm like, um, what is, is it, uh, or are, are they supposed to have grown this in a petri dish somewhere? Like, like how? 
and you still haven't even watched these it. things work <laughs> and they haven't watched it yet so like i still come back to that point of like yeah. i mean we could have a very long conversation about media conglomerate huge studios versus indies which maybe that we do that in another um yeah. episode of just kind of like how these things are structured and how it comes to be but yeah at the end of the day like it's individual people making a piece of art so how can we pass such a massive judgment of amazon's making it i hate it you can hate right. amazon as a company Yes. That's fine. There's a lot of dodgy things going on. But, you know, when it comes down to what they're creating and the stories, until we see it, we can't really say much about that. Yeah. And it's just so there are going to be human beings who will <laughs> have written the script and produce like the the there are people working on it. So I, I it's starting to the, like I'm trying to get myself out of the habit of saying, what's Amazon going to do in this show? answer nothing no but like the question is like what are the showrunners and the writers uh you know and the directors going to be doing in this show like that's the actual question now you can ask like how did they find these people like how are these people hired but again when you're talking about these big corporations and later on yeah well um we won't go too far onto this today we'll come back to this question because i would love to learn more about the kinds of things that you do see because i feel like there's a lot that i don't know about this um uh, the one thing I do feel fairly confident in saying is, although it's true that obviously there are some expectations that come down the pipe from, you know, the owners of the studio, right? Amazon does have presumably some goals for what they're wanting to achieve by, you know, the billion dollars that they're paying. They want some return on that money, I think, um, from this show. And so they have some goal. The corporation, the corporate conglomerate has some goals. Um and therefore, there will be some, you know, strictures, guidelines, uh, limitations, you know, that yep. may be imposed upon uh, contractually the production. imposed. Yeah, yeah. Um, based on that, but of course, uh, like the idea that like, strictures being imposed upon a production are nothing new and not unique to this kind of a corporate environment and not necessarily limiting either it, it it like you said because they're so expected it's not really something that's going to crump my style like right. I, i'll still be able to be the creative mastermind and if i am amazon and i am investing this amount of money and expecting some sort of a return it's in my best interest to have people who are super creative and passionate and can yes. think outside the box and be aware of all the minutia and all these little bits and pieces that people are going to latch onto and emote because me as a media conglomerate have no emotions. I better hire somebody that has emotions. Right. So, right. And yeah. they're also not that they never do anything dumb, but they're not, uh, they didn't get where they where they are by being completely stupid and oblivious. And so if they presumably they want something uh, they want some return on their investment in this show. And presumably they know they're not going to get it if it's horrible. <laughs> and so therefore are motivated by uh, to, to anyway, whatever. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's it, what I get frustrated by is, again, sort of the sloppiness. And again, it's it, it comes back to the critfic thing, right? Like okay. when you say this show is going to be horrible because it's put out by Amazon. Amazon is this massive corporation. It's like the really sloppy critfic narrative about Star Wars, right? Disney is ruining Star Wars. It's like, okay, look, 
there's lots of things, you know, you can build, if you want to build an argument that says the things that are produced in the Marvel world or the Star Wars world, since either of those franchises were taken over by Disney, if you want to make an argument that says the Marvel stuff and the Disney stuff, or sorry, and the Star Wars stuff that, that has been produced under the purview of Disney is inferior to what was done before and show me how that is. And then it, and, and then ideally explain some of the cause and effect, what it is that Disney's doing that has made that worse. Um, okay. But nobody actually makes that argument. People just wave their hands at it and be like, oh, Disney has wrecked Star Wars. And I'm just, as somebody, as especially in, um, uh, you know, in, in, in my case, as a, a very casual Star Wars fan, I'm looking, I'm like, well, I haven't loved everything that they've done for sure. Um, but I think the Mandalorian's fantastic and one of the greatest things the Star Wars franchise has ever produced. So I have a hard time watching the Mandalorian, which I think is excellent. And just listening to people be like, Oh, Disney's wrecked Star Wars. And I'm like, okay, that is at the very least a massively sloppy generalization. Right. But worst it's, you're not saying anything yet. Like yeah. you've, you're, 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 and again, it's, it's that, the, the, the classic critic problem, right. Where it sounds like you're, because there's, there's an implied cause and effect, right? And since you're stating a cause and effect, then therefore you've said something, right? But, but you've not actually said anything about the shows themselves. Um, yeah, and, and this isn't us supporting one or the other. It's purely, you know, I'm not saying Amazon's perfect and, you know, they're obviously not funding us or anything like that. It's more like I'm not going to make a snap judgment until I have something to judge. Yeah. And... Yeah. That's that's where we are. I mean, I sure hope they've hired people that know the inner workings of this world and are building something beautiful and, and perfect, like lovely. But that might not happen. It might be crap. But I'm not right. going to pass any judgment until I know. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's it is harder. And actually, you know, one thing, um, Edith, I agree that one of my kind of corollaries to this concern is exactly what you're saying, that people act like big evil corporations function as independent entities, right? Like they just like And actually, this is one of the things that I think I know that lots of people are, you know, disapprove of what Amazon as a corporation or Disney as a corporation does and their, some of their practices or whatever. But actually the more you complain about Amazon or Disney, the more you are um, letting off the human beings who made the choices that led to those things. Like the corporation doesn't do anything. The corporation doesn't exist. People exist. I mean, and this is, I, I, I mean, look, I, I have founded a corporation myself, you know, well, Signum University is a nonprofit corporation, but we're still technically a corporation. Um, but like, I, you know, we can say Signum does this or Signum does that or Signum believes in this or that. But I, as founder and president of Signum, am painfully aware that Signum doesn't exist on its own. It doesn't do anything. It's just the people who, you know, I might do some things and I've made some decisions and other people do some things and say some things and make some decisions. And we together do some things and agree upon things. Um, but uh, but the institution doesn't have an independent life of its own. And so the more the more you say, oh, these big corporations are evil, big corporations aren't evil. Evil acts are done by people who run and make decisions in big corporations. And the more you just chalk it up to the corporation, the more you're letting those people escape criticism, which they shouldn't escape criticism. Um, anyway, it's um, 
so it's uh, this is again it's a, it's a it's a it's a corollary to this thing. But I think it, honestly, like that kind of thinking, that the kind of sloppy generalization that just groups, because I mean there are, and not to mention there are like how many employees does Amazon have? How many manager level employees? Like how many decision makers are involved in Amazon? Not just in this production, not just in this wing, but in Amazon as a whole, right? Um, and uh, even to say Amazon is evil, well, has Amazon, you know, have some people done at Amazon done some evil things? Yeah, but they've also done some good. Other people have done good things as well. It's just... It's a it's a a sloppiness of thinking. I think is really dangerous on lots and lots of levels. But as far as its application to this, I just I absolutely cannot get into. And Maggie, as you say, you keep very sensibly bringing it back to one very simple principle, right? And that is, if you're prejudging, if you're if you're saying that we have reason to know it's going to be horrible before you've ever seen it, you're just not. Like you're not making a responsible, rational you're decision not, as a human being. You're also really ruining it for yourself. You have no opportunity to even try to like it. Like I stopped reading reviews of films years ago until yeah. I've seen the film because I'm just so sick of having other people's opinions in my head before I go in and enjoy something myself. And I'm more likely to enjoy it if I just go and watch it without any preconception. So I'd much yes. rather give myself that opportunity. And four minutes in, I have the right to say, nope, this is crap. But I have the right to do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And uh, and and there's a certain responsibility that we have to do that. Again, if you want to abdicate your right, you know, to draw your own uh, judgment, then you can do that. Um, but uh, uh, but it certainly uh, is is a, a silly thing to do to. Uh, you know, try to <laughs> convince others not to do that. Um, and there are but again, some real... This... Go ahead. There are some real perks about this, too, that I'm sure we can get into of just like, you know, I think about some of my favorite texts that have been adapted before and how poorly they were done because the time frame was too condensed. I don't mean the story. I mean, they had to shoot in six weeks instead of 20 right. or whatever. Right. And right. the budget was 20 million when it really should have been around 80 to 90. And, you know, all these things that really ended up limiting the opportunities for the text that I would have loved to see more care taken and then it brought to screen a little bit more carefully. This is being brought to screen very carefully. We mm -hmm. don't know if it's going to be good yet, right. but we can be pretty certain that there's a lot of attention, money, care, thought going yeah. into it. Yeah. They're not just pulling it out of the vault because they've owned the rights for 10 years and want to make a quick buck, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I, the the whole my, I mean this goes back to the Peter Jackson films when people were uh, the Hobbit films when people kept being like oh this is just a money grab it's just a money grab and it's like well, everybody's trying to make money right? they'll probably make money yeah. they'll probably make money every studio yeah. like that's insane <laughs> you're, you're not yet saying anything right um uh, of course they want to make money everybody wants to make money they're not a business if they don't want to make money but um uh but uh you know, there, okay, there are some other factors there, and we can, if we want, draw conclusions about their motivations again after the fact. But the mere fact that perhaps somebody involved, again, I I, I feel the same way with the the Disney stuff. Like when when people talk about 
like what Disney has done to these things, and and they're afraid to, that Amazon is going to do to the Lord of the Rings what Disney has done to Star Wars. Um, what I keep hearing is, oh, they're just going to keep trotting out like spinoff after spinoff, and like actually, you know, just to kind and of like, milk it. And I know, and I'm like, that Bring sounds it. awesome. Like, Bring I, it. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are so many good stories that can be done, um, and I think they're they're oh man, it, it could be fantastic right that could be absolutely fantastic and there's a, a a large you know do i love all of the you know um phase four marvel series that have been released by disney no but i like several of them very much you know and, and i really enjoyed all of them for what they were because i got to spend more time in that world and then yeah. i didn't have to revisit it i was done with that one you know right right exactly like i like indiana but i don't need to go back to it <laughs> 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 you, you you can experience part of a world because it's all world building, but you get to choose what you get to dip into and spend more time with. Right, right. That's why I felt about the Hobbit. I was just there. glad. Yeah, yeah, I was just glad to spend more time in Middle Earth. But yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to spend that much time with the Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We're, yeah, we're, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I I don't think um, now again, like if you begin to get a trend of you know a whole bunch of really bad shows that are being like that are being poorly resourced and and poorly staffed and you know then okay like now you've got a complaint right yeah. but the complaint is not that they're doing more things the complaint is that they're doing them badly right yeah. um and and that's a totally different thing and it needs to be based on first and foremost watching the thing and judging it for what it is uh, rather than prejudging it or, you know, again, making a statement about the circumstances and thinking that you've made a statement about the thing. Again, that fundamental, that's the fundamental critfic slide um, that I think is uh, just always introduces a kind of dishonesty, sometimes unintentional, sometimes unaware. I think people are often genuinely unaware that they've made that slip. Um, into critfic because it's so uh, it's such a pervasive way of thinking, but um, anyway, um, yeah. So um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I just, that's it's a specific application. This is this is I, I was I had this on my list to talk about last week. We didn't get to it last week. Yeah. Um, I I would love to learn more um, about the differences between big studios and indie studios and what exactly that means and the advantages and disadvantages of both and and totally well me too yeah. i mean like i can i can definitely do a bit in in a, an upcoming one but like everything is so down to individual productions too right and who's in charge of that and who's holding the purse strings and which studio representative is on set making sure the rules are being followed because some of them are not as flexible as others and right. you know so there's so many different factors that go into it but we can certainly talk a bit about like the pros and cons of indie versus, you know, major conglomerate and stuff. Cause that is really interesting, especially yeah. when you're talking about developing a known work and the decisions that have to be made. Right. Right. Absolutely. There's a lot of Oops. Sorry. I lost you there. That last. Oh, sorry. You said there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, sorry. My internet. Exactly. Is and that's, and as you said uh, a couple of weeks ago, that's always true. Right. There are always lots of cooks in the kitchen when it comes to any kind of screen production. And this is, again, another thing that um, I, even if you think about 
to you to, to think of another it, it's impossible to talk about things as a as a fan I think without using this kind of heuristic right um, we tend to say things like Amazon is producing the show we also tend to say things like the Peter Jackson films right as if Peter Jackson was the sole artist behind yeah. <laughs> those movies right um not acknowledging and I've, I've tried uh, I've actively I've actively been trying as a uh, when I've been referring to those films to change my own vocabulary there and I've, I've started trying to refer to them as uh, the films made by the Peter Jackson team uh, just to kind of vaguely acknowledge like I know there are other people it's not just it's him the responsibility yeah just dispersion <laughs> of responsibility um, but yeah because I mean it's because then especially like, think of the number of conversations that people have had where they've been like Tolkien versus Peter Jackson, right? And it's like, you're not comparing apples to apples there at all. No, no. Yeah, I think I even said that in one of these sessions where like, yeah, you've got the author who's one person who wrote a book with maybe an editor and a beta reader, but then you have film. <laughs> and like right. the example I always use is the first day I was on Twilight and there were 11 people in charge of moving bushes around to cover up street signs so you couldn't tell we were in Oregon. Like 11 <laughs> people for a bush. That's a bush. <laughs> so then when you think about something like every decision in film is so purposeful, if you're talking about the guy carrying the antlers that bugged you so much in the trailer, do you know how many people probably made the decision about that? First, right. should they carry antlers? What should they look like? How are they being harnessed? How are they being attached to their bodies? Why are they, you know, there's and then the people so who actually made that. the antlers to, 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 you know, as part of the, as the, you know, the, the yeah. prop makers and yeah. Yeah. That although it may take us out of the moment and be like, what are they doing? I'm sure there's a reason. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I'm. I'm yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'm not might not be a good one. It might, it might still be lame, but. It might still be lame. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, but I I'm, bet they I'm, thought I'm, about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure they did. Yeah. I'm sure they did. Um, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll, we will come back and discuss some more of these things uh, later moving forward. But. Um, yeah. Thanks everybody for joining us today. Thanks Maggie for uh, for your time. This for, was a fun... for watching quietly and cheering you both on. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I like this like alternating week thing. Every couple of weeks, I'll just sit here going, "Great, I'm gonna learn more." I feel like I should minimize my little window. Um, I feel like we should say if people want to submit questions and topics, yeah, like I absolutely. welcome that. If there's, because I kind of make assumptions too. I've noticed this in my classes. I make assumptions that folks at least have a baseline of whatever we're talking about. And that's not necessarily true. So, you yeah, know, if, do let if, us know. If there, if there are things we're taking for granted about. that you'd like us to back up and talk about, um, <laughs> if there are other questions or issues or concerns that you have as you're thinking about this, if there are other adaptations that you want to talk about, which I think we can learn from and, and, and sort of think about more. Um, of course, like we're thinking about the Rings of Power series as it's coming out, but we're not unwilling to talk about other things. And of course, I'm also uh, I'm also kind of interested to talk about uh, the uh, War of the Rohirrim film that's supposed to be coming out um, in 2024, uh, the anime film. Um, so there's going to be some really interesting questions about that. We'll definitely we'll talk about that later, um, but there's some certainly some questions about that too. Anyway, so do feel free. This so is a fluid show. It is a fluid show. So um, where you can submit that for now, we'll get it. I keep forgetting to make a designated email for this. We'll do that. Um, well, why don't I do a, I'll do a thing on MythGuard. Um, okay. We'll do a little submission form box or something. Great. Great. Yeah, we'll do a submission form box there. Uh, and then you can, um, um, uh, then you can 
you can you can have a place. In the meantime, you can always send emails to info at signumu.org and they'll get to me and we'll figure it out. But uh, we'll, 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 we'll make a submission form in the meantime. So awesome. Perfect. Thanks, everybody. And we Thanks, will guys. see you guys next week. Bye now. Bye.